Very good. Well, welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program is Steve Anderson. And our guest uh, and mentor this month is a longtime friend and mentor of the Crown Council, Dr. Joseph Michelli, uh, who's PhD and CSP. We'll talk about the CSP in just a minute. Uh, so uh, Joseph has been uh, a mentor at the annual event. He's also been a former mentor of the month. Uh, because of his extensive work that he has done over the years. He is uh, a student of s different companies. So he's written uh, a number of different books that focus on, on specific companies, including Starbucks, uh, entitled Leading the Starbucks Way, The Starbucks Way, Five Principles for Connecting with Your Customer. Uh, he's written about Zappos, uh, and a number of, the list is, is long, uh, but he goes in and studies different companies and how they do what they do and the lessons that can be extracted uh, from those for, for pretty much any business. And uh, the latest of which is a book about Airbnb, which is going to be our topic of conversation uh, for today. So Dr. Michelli, welcome back. Hey. Steve, and, it's always great to be with you. Thanks for having me. All right, so quick, uh, quick little update. Tell us what CSP is. Well, that's a certified speaking uh, professional, and then I also add on, you know, certified customer experience professional, which is something I'm particularly you know, proud of because I think that's where we're all trying to go: is how do we make that patient experience really something that that's you know sustainable with all the changes going on in customers and patients today? Absolutely. Well, let's talk about Airbnb. Um, disruptive. Uh, oh Airbnb has been very disruptive to the uh, hospitality industry. Uh, has created uh, uh, created worldwide uh, a whole new trend in terms of travel. So maybe you can start with the research that you did, how long you took, how you did it, uh, for starters, and then we'll talk about lessons learned. Sure. So, you know, Stephen, back 2008, I did a book about the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, and I, I had uh, worked with them, really trying to understand and, and help craft an alternative to their kind of unapproachable, but really elevated customer experience of the time. And so how are you going to contemporize that? How are you going to make sure the Ritz-Carlton would actually serve beer in a bottle? which was not allowed at the time uh, because consumers were wanting that, right? So how did you get in step with the times? So that's what I was doing in 2008, talking about hospitality with what I thought was the best brand. Well, I was doing that in 2008. There were three guys in San Francisco who had a couple of air mattresses and created a web platform to try to get people to, to sleep on their, their web mattresses and eat uncooked Pop-Tarts. And those three guys, in the course of about 10 years, launched an Airbnb, which now rivals in terms of brand valuation, the parent company for the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, the Marriott Corporation. So if you look at valuations, uh, Marriott somewhere around $40 billion. Uh, if you look at valuations for Airbnb, which is you know on the cusp of either an IPO or going direct public, which is kind of interesting, uh, they're looking at a $38 billion valuation, one of the few of the unicorns, those fast-growing technology companies one of the few that's been profitable. Certainly Uber wasn't, Lyft wasn't. So when you put all that together in the course of a decade, 
to create $38 billion in valuation from three air mattresses and to do it without any physical assets to speak of. They don't own any of the properties, which is part of the valuation of the Marriott Corporation, obviously. Right. It's a pretty remarkable story and one that I couldn't pass up. Plus, I think it speaks to the 21st century, what it takes to be great with patients or clients or customers in this century. The way it's being done with technology today is very different. And so Airbnb was a great place to study and play. So in terms of, of how you did the research, I, I assume you talked to plenty of people inside the company, uh, had some access, uh, I assume, to the founders. Uh, tell us a little bit about your re research me methodology. You're a researcher, so how did you go about it? Yeah, if you start with the fact that I, I work with collaboration agreements with all the brands, you know, I'm the guy who's going to go in and say, these are the great things that the Crown Council is doing and you can learn from them. I don't do an autopsy of any breakdowns, right? I mean, I certainly, if you've had toe stubs, I would share that and try to teach, the, you know, learn the teachable lessons. But because of that, I always want a collaboration agreement with a, with a company. And so I had to get permission from Brian Chesky, who's one of the co-founders and CEOs, to actually profile his company in that way. Um, get the publishing agreement with McGraw-Hill and then spend on, you know, I started in January of 2018. So spend the better part of 2018 researching of the brand deeply, talking to really hundreds and hundreds of employees and guests from, uh, and guests and hosts from around the world. So uh, that is the process that my team takes on and kind of looks at it through the lens of uh, other customer experience benchmarks that we've had the good fortune of working with as well. So uh, you're, you're a huge student of the customer experience. That's been one of the themes throughout every book that you've done. This one's a little bit different in that you've got a brand that does not control the customer experience in terms of employees, assets. You're depending on a third party to deliver the customer experience in a way that at least the customer is at least satisfied and wants to come back and repeat again. So how do they do that? I'm sure that process of how they had to figure that out and control, you know, to have some influence on how that happens. So how, tell us a little bit about that process and how they, how they influence the, the end consumer experience. Yeah, I seem to be getting farther and farther from the mothership, right? So Starbucks can fire an employee who doesn't do what's needed in customer experience in their environment. And the same is true through Ritz-Carlton and other brands I've worked for. The book before this was about Mercedes-Benz. And so now we're talking about a manufacturer that has to try to influence dealers to deliver the Mercedes-Benz experience at the dealership. But even then, you have really strong contractual agreements between dealers and the OEM and failing to perform against brand standards through that agreement can put you at peril. When you get to Airbnb, now we're talking about this wild, wild west of undifferentiated independent business owners who are supposedly delivering the Airbnb experience. So uh, you, you know, it can be an 80 year old woman who's renting out a spare bedroom and she's got to deliver the Airbnb experience. It can be a group of property managers who are listing their properties on the Airbnb platform. They, despite being a relatively large group of business owners, 
are having to try to somehow deliver against that. So all that said, it starts with making sure that your own internal experience is great. So your employees understand what your brand's all about and you're helping them with the tools needed to deliver a differentiated experience. From there, it's having your employees try to inculcate that out into the global world of, of these independent business owners. It's a lot of technology tools. It's a lot of, of community building both online communities and offline communities. It's been an interesting set of lessons about how do you herd cats, if you will, using technology and building local communities. So uh, how, how do they, they, so they start from the inside out, obviously. When it gets to the, the provider, the one who's providing the property, the room, whatever it is, uh, what are some of the ways that they have designed to positively influence the the customer experience? So they, they are proactively providing a clear des destination. What is our true north of the customer experience? And I can talk about what that actually is. And then beyond that, they give actual tools on how do I deliver hospitality? How do I, how can I be responsive? What does it look like to take care of the basics of service? What does elevated service offerings look like? So they provide all that tool stuff, but that's just kind of thrown out there in the hopes that people are gonna grab on and live it. Then they do what is true for, for dentists, what is true for every profession in the world these days, they link it to reputation management. So in our world, it might be you know, patient reviews or it might be our client reviews, and that's gonna appear out in the internet. For them, they actually put that reputational system right on their website. And then not only do they post it on the website, but they make decisions using artificial intelligence and algorithms that enable me to either be presented to you when you seek out a place to stay or make it very hard for you to find me based on my performance against service standards. Ah, so they've written the algorithm. So the, the better host I am, the higher ranking I get. Amen and hallelujah, right? And, uh, and better host is defined by all kinds of things, how quickly I communicate and respond to an initial request, the ratings of the guests, um, a variety of other factors are linked into it, including the amenities I provided and the like. So clearly it's a, it's a meritocracy of sorts that is trying to drive behavior. What, uh, as you did the research, what did you learn that surprised you? I think that surprising me in general is just how on the cutting edge they are using technology. I think that you know, a lot of people give lip service to engaging disruption. They really get it. So there's, I think they ascribe to MarTech's law, basically. MarTech says that most businesses are trying to improve incrementally. And if you looked at a dental practice today or dental practice, you know, a year from now, it's probably better than it was a year earlier. But most of the improvements are just incremental in nature. Sometimes, as Airbnb sees it, the consumer behavior is changing exponentially. And so these incremental changes are not staying in pace with the exponential changes of the consumer behavior. So I think what I saw in Airbnb is this constant attention to what is going on with consumers so that we can bridge that gap. That gap is called the disruption gap in the MarTech model. So the more that we meet the customer with their exponential behavioral journey, the more effective we're going to be. And so, you know, just 
this week, Airbnb announced that they are going to be ethically assessing any animal activity or excursion. So if you stayed in some farm and there were animals on the farm and you had any interaction with those animals, the ethical treatment of those animals is going to be under consideration. Well, for some folks, that's just way too liberal and way too crazy and too wacky to concern yourself with in business. But given their demographic and given the nature of millennials' perspectives on animals, that you know, there are more and more home manufacturers now building dog washes in new model homes, for example, and the propensity to care about social causes. Airbnb's positioning on things like that are wholly consistent with customer behavior, their core customer target demos. That's the kind of mindset that I think I saw in Airbnb that many businesses just aren't on the edge of. Why Airbnb? and not VRBO. So VRBO, I believe, started before Airbnb. Not, Big time. Not quite right. the same size. So I'm sure you studied VRBO when you studied I Airbnb. I did. Uh, Crowds, yeah, there were several others that were ahead of them. You know, crowd, uh, couchsurfing.com was ahead of them. VRBO was ahead of them. These, uh, well, first off, VRBO, you know, very much focused on vacation rentals, as evidenced by the name, right? Uh, vacation rental by owner was the original uh, acronym. Uh, so very much vacation rental oriented. If you ever tried to use VRBO, there were several problems. The technologies were not that great to interface on the website. And worse yet, the policies were very draconian, particularly toward guests. Um, and so making it more effortless for the customer experience was a big part of the value proposition. And because you know, Airbnb appealed to urban uh, travel as well as vacation related travel, uh, they opened up a whole marketplace of people who were just looking to go to New York City but not have to pay for housing in Manhattan, right? Or to go to San Francisco and be able to go to the outer skirts of, out, of, of San Francisco, not necessarily the tourist travel area. Got it. So a uh, little bit different niche and technologically, you know, certainly, certainly with it. You studied Ritz-Carlton, then you studied Airbnb. Airbnb clearly disrupted Ritz-Carlton's business model, as well as every other hospitality brand. And it, it's taken, I'm sure, when you studied this, a chunk out of the hospitality industry in terms of hotel room nights. So let's go back to Ritz-Carlton for a minute. If you, if you are a Ritz-Carlton or a Marriott or Hilton, whatever, how do you compete with Airbnb? Well, you add that part of the travel experience to your portfolio and you're seeing some of these product lines you're seeing acquisitions in this space and and there's definitely roll-ups going on where a vrbo gets bought out by an expedia that you know these things are starting to happen and, and marriott and i think has come to the party now and is coming up with its own uh, set of home shared options so if i'm you know if, 
you'd think it wouldn't necessarily impact a high-end Ritz-Carlton, but I have a colleague of mine who's a, a hotelier in Beverly Hills, and he said, as much as we used to fill our hotel in Beverly Hills, now teams are coming together and they're renting Airbnbs of these mansions uh, of homes in the area because their entire team can bring their chef and they can bring all these other people and they can all stay in the same space and have their meeting in the in this big mansion and not have to rent out our, our conference area as well. And so I think you as a Marriott have to create the same variety of options. So as a consumer, I have the option of either going to your Marriott hotel and goodness knows they have a whole range of hotels within their options. But now you add to that, that component of alternative opportunities for both business travelers and leisure travelers. And I, I think Marriott now has Marriott experiences, right? That's absolutely their brand as well as many other things where they're, we're looking at the whole travel experience, not just a room. Yeah. And I think, you know, they moved and they pivoted and good for them. And I think that's going to be, you know, something really strong in their portfolio. The reality is sometimes if you wait too long behind the disruptor, that disruptor gets such market share and mind space. So what you end up with is this perception that the place to go to rent these types of options is Airbnb. Uh, and it's hard then to get that mind space going there. And what you're trying to do is create more options for your existing base, but not necessarily attract to the base that's already Airbnbs. Oh, by the way, Airbnb has also gone upstream and created boutique hotels and other hotel <laughs> offerings. So they're pushing that side of the equation as well. Gotcha. Uh, biggest lessons learned. Um, what, what did you learn you didn't expect to learn? You know, I really didn't think that this kind of a brand could effectively send out a message about what they're all about and get people to align with it. So if I am going to rent out a space in my house, I didn't necessarily think that I would care much about what Airbnb wanted that space to be all about. I think, however, they've been extremely effective at appealing to base underlying emotional needs of people uh, in ways that have enabled them to get that out. So the main thing they want people to feel every time they interact with an Airbnb property or experience is belonging. And so they have spent lots and lots of time researching that it's, you know, the Maslowian hierarchy, right? It's not enough just to take care of food and safety and security. Higher human needs include the need to belong. And so they have done this fabulous job of saying, we're not in the house, the housing accommodations business, we're in the belonging business. And if you want to join us in this, you can belong to our journey to change the world so that anyone can belong anywhere. We can be part of bringing humanity together, celebrating commonalities, overlooking what is often you know, blown out to great divisive differences. We can be those people who make travel inclusive and welcoming so that everyone has a sense of belonging. And, and I'll tell you, you know, I've interviewed hosts from all over the world and the, this, the really good hosts buy into this, right? They get inspired by that mission, that calling, and they are part of the Airbnb team, not just letting out a room on the platform. They buy into the vision. Absolutely. And it is an in, in, encouraging vision in this time, right? To think that 
everybody who arrives in a dental practice can feel they belong there, that they're not just, uh, well, I made this choice and you know they're gonna take my money and they're gonna do their thing. They, I belong here. This place is a place where people are excited that I have arrived, right? That I am welcome here. This is a safe place for me. And I think every consumer today, whether they're going on your website or they're watching you know, this, particular, uh, this particular interview, they want to know that they belong in this community that, you're, that they're a part of. And failing to get that right, I think, is a big miss today. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the, how they aligned people, but I'm also pretty impressed by the, the psychology that they're operating from and driving their true north. Uh, what, what other things, you know, so a sense of belonging, critically important. Uh, what about a customer that doesn't care? Doesn't care about whether they belong. Yeah, no, 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 you're right. I need a room. I don't care about all this fluffy stuff. Just give me a bed. I'm in. I'm out. So how do they? But there's definitely. Oh yeah, and and people have different need states, right? I mean, ultimately, they have different need states, and ease and effort and convenience are also high priorities within their overall structure. That's why the website loads among the fastest of all the websites in the travel space, right? It's all about, you don't wanna waste a lot of time. That's why the design of the navigation of the app is so intuitive and you don't have to make many clicks to make things happen, right? So there's all of that. Um, there clearly is an effort to make sure that you have ease of check-in. And so you, you know, if you're a higher level host uh, under a higher level program, they require you to either have someone who can expedite the on-site key delivery or have the key codes or you know, other technologies for entrance and access. So all of that's taken care of. And not everyone you know, wants that as a value proposition, they just want efficiency. Uh, but, but you don't have to make these mutually exclusive. You, know, you can give people the option to have both. Uh, and people can opt out of the enriched experience for the stripped down, I just want to bed in the shower and get out of there. Um, but if I wanted to have you guide me and tell me some of the best places to eat in your tiny town, I would rather do that in an Airbnb context because I'm not sure if the hotel person in that tiny town is getting spiffed to send me to that restaurant or not. So I'm not sure if that's an authentic referral or if that's an economic referral. Um, so I think that's the piece of it that they're trying to get at is make it quick, make it efficient. This is a society of, I wanted it yesterday, but if you have the chance to just impart a little bit of welcoming belonging and maybe a little insight to travel local, go for it. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much the way it's designed. Talk about how they manage uh, guest rules and expectations. So you stay at an Airbnb, there's a little bit more required of you typically than if you stayed in a hotel. And a hotel is kind of like, you leave it however you want, you get out of there, you're gone, and the hotel picks up. Airbnb, not so much. I mean, there's, in most places that I've been, Airbnb, there's a list of things that you have to do to be a to be a good guest and you're being rated as a guest just as much as you're rating the host. So how does Airbnb manage that uh, in terms of what is too much to require of a guest 
and how do they manage? They actually business? believe that there's never too much to uh, put on a guest, right? You should put on everything that you positively want a guest to comply with and you should put it up front and you should not sugarcoat it. You should just put it out there. I mean, that's the approach. And my goodness, we in the book spend lots of time showing some of the most draconian things that are being asked of guests. Really? We also have some of the most strange descriptions of properties, right? Where people say, look, we have thin walls. If you're a light sleeper, do not book our Airbnb, right? We think this is like shocking to us, right? Because, you know, if you're in traditional business, it's all about trying to slightly over-represent your good spots and minimize the negatives and get the customer in, this, in the loop and then they can find out all the words. Um, the complete reverse is true. Puffery is discouraged authenticity and the images that you present about your property, the way you describe your property is very much encouraged. And the weirdest part is that we have some of these things like you cannot cook, you know, any animal products in my kitchen because of my, you know, my own dietary considerations, types of guidelines, right? Uh, now, I would never stay at a house that tells me what I can't cook in, in this place that I'm renting, right? Um, but the people who do stay, in that place are of similar ideation and ilk and belief systems. And they are in love that this place exists uh, for the purity of its kitchen, right? And I think that's what Airbnb is saying in essence, is if you really know who you are, what your value proposition, if you're very honest about it, you talk about a couple of your strengths, but you also tell people who, who are not right for your experience, it actually serves you better, it serves the platform better, and it makes for greater happiness and connection with your guests. So in their book, more, the more transparency, the better, and the more rules, because that defines who your market is. And if you define who your market is, the more satisfied your guest is going to be because they're looking for what you have to offer. Have I got it right? That's totally it. And I think you have to, you know, I, I'm a big, you know, Charlie Munger fan who's, who says you got to know the, the absolute ironclad rule of your market, right? So in any business, you kind of have to know there is a market for that which you're putting out there. And, and then you have to set the parameters of this is who's right for this product. The clearer you are about that, the, the laser focused you are on how to message it and how to present it to the marketplace. And the less you're overreaching into areas you shouldn't be playing with, and the less reputational damage you'll take. So anyway, I, I think that's really the zeitgeist of this. And I have been shocked by that as well. I mean, there are some doozy, you know, like if you rent this space, you know, naked warrior tribes could walk through your, <laughs> your compound, right? I mean, it's, it has been pretty eye-opening. So you can, you can define your market too narrowly. You can, yeah. I mean, you definitely need to know your market, but then if you have, if you've defined it too narrowly and you have to expand it, you have to make sure that you can deliver against the expanded market, right? So if you seek to go broader, then you need to make sure you have the core competencies to address that broader and you're telling the truth to that market about what you can deliver. And, and so, you know, if this person couldn't get bookings under the circumstance of meat being cooked in their, their kitchen, they might have to rethink whether or not that's a viable delimiter and if there's a sufficient market that they can attract. So you're familiar with the Crown Council. You've been with us uh, several times in the past. Uh, if I were to use the Airbnb way as a textbook uh, for my dental practice, what are some things 
that I'm going to learn how to do that'll benefit my practice that I can learn from Airbnb? I think to set your true north, the clear true north of what we want every patient to feel every time, no excuses. I think that's a very important thing. I mean, oftentimes we'll have mission, vision, values, all kinds of other cultural infrastructure, a lot about us, a lot about us, how we need to behave, how we have to look inward toward ourselves. The real test of markets today is what customers say about us when we're not around. And so I think you'll be able to get an idea of what do you want them to say? Uh, and then how do we teach our people to help deliver the processes that will likely cause that to be said into the social you know, social media uh, out there. I think the next thing that you will learn is that trust, which is so essential to business, is something you can design into the way you create various touch points in your brand. So at Airbnb, you know, the trust between somebody who's going to stay in your house. Now, a lot of Airbnb stays are in some open, you know, accommodation, not in the house of the guest. But think about it in that most extreme case where, you know, I am in my own house and I have somebody stay here tonight. That whole thing is freaky on both sides, right? Like I want an absolute stranger to stay in my house while I'm here, or I'm gonna be staying in the house of some family while I'm in town. To create any chance of that working out, they have done a lot of strategizing on how do we create a little bit of a communication before the interaction? How do we design the size of the box, the text box for that interaction so that you know we actually can have this very, you know, an opportunity to demystify the actual stranger status. So I would say fundamentally, you know, there's so many things they can teach about how to design for trust. Um, so I think that's a, a pretty big deliverable that the book hopefully has. I think it really speaks to how do you marry human delivery with technology in a way that the, the, the dental practice is human powered but technology enabled. So hopefully those are a few of the, the key lessons that you would, you would find as you wander through the book. And you know, we design these things so that you know, about every third of the way through a chapter, there's some things to reflect upon and ask your team, get, get together with your team. You know, I, I can think of one right now where you, you fundamentally say, what's your basic view of human nature? I mean, people basically good, do they need to be distrusted? How do you, how do you think that view of human nature affects some of the practice policies that we have in place? Um, you know, do we, are we very, very guarded because we're just afraid of these people ripping us off, taking advantage of us? Or do we have a pretty accepting policy, but that, when somebody crosses the line, we will manage those exceptions. So it's just those kinds of things throughout the book, you get a chance to have some ideation to get with your team and have conversations about. I would imagine that uh, doing all the research that you do for each one of these books, you cannot walk away without being changed as an author. Oh, wow, that's so astute. See, no one has ever said that, but it's absolutely the truth. I am how, how a better, did, I, I'm a better person for having dealt with Airbnb, right? Like I, you know, I think as much as I believe in the good of humanity and I really am a pretty positive, optimistic guy as a rule, after talking with these Airbnb hosts, I started to realize several things. One is I still watch too much evening news and do too little good in my community, right? Like I came away with that. I don't have that. I don't believe every stranger could become a friend. I believe some strangers could become friends, but 
after Airbnb, I think it's really a matter of me lessening some of my prejudices in, it, in order to create friendships with those people I would have otherwise not expected, right? So there's some of that that's going on. I think the other thing that Airbnb has done for me as a, as a writer, as I talk to all of these different people, is the realization that as I get older and I'm getting older, right? I mean, I don't have to think that the best years of my life are necessarily behind me. If you look at Airbnb hosts, the fastest growing group of hosts are seniors. And a lot of them are hosting, not well, they're hosting for two reasons. Some of them have housing insecurity. They don't know that they can keep their house without a reverse mortgage. So they're using the space to create some revenue. But a whole bunch of them are saying, I've been marginalized, right? Like I used to be in the workforce. People used to care about what I, I said or did. There's a guy that I interviewed for the book who was on the, the Olympic committee in Brazil, right? And he's retired. He, he, he has very limited value in the world, except in the dialogue he has with his guests. I mean, he just feels that, that that's been meaningful to him. And then he uses his money to promote some social causes in Brazil, which also give him a sense of giving back. So I think those are a couple of things is that, you know, uh, we can still find ways to engage with people uh, as we get older and share our wisdom through Airbnb experiences or interacting with guests from across the world. So you were a changed man because of your research on Airbnb. Hallelujah. Yeah, I've been changed. There you go. Okay. So the Airbnb way, <clears throat> you can find this everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. And the Airbnb way.com. If you just go, excuse me, Airbnb way.com. No, the Airbnb way.com. You can find a lot about the book. We have a travel contest that my team is sponsoring to San Francisco that includes a tour of Airbnb. Uh, Airbnb has provided that prize and nice. stay in an Airbnb in San Francisco. Uh, so uh, otherwise, if you're in the continental United States, you're eligible to enroll for that. And you can find out all the information and the rules for that at that website as well. Very cool. Dr. Michelli, thank you for uh, sharing your experience and uh, Highly recommend that everybody get a copy of the book. There are some amazing lessons, not only to be learned, but more importantly, to be applied. Uh, this is an example of disruptive technology that has changed an industry. And I don't think there's gonna be any industry that is not disrupted or changed by technology. Dentistry certainly be, being one of those. And building your skills on how to compete in a disruptive world is something all of us need to do. So thank you for sharing your insights and your research with us once again today. Steve, I'm a huge fan of the Crown Council and you're changing the world and practices of dentists. So thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks so much.